production of the Toy Network. This is the Uncommon Cast RX number 266, Mended Hearts and the Frosty Lion. I'm Aleph. And I'm Sono, and this is Common Rider Saber, episode 31, The Strength of Trust, A Trustable Strength. Okay. Sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's a title. Um. It's, it's definitely a Fukuda Takuro title. <laughs> Why is it? Why did the second half of that need to be there? And episode thirty-two, my feelings crystallized, See, which is a fine title. Yeah, that's actually a very good title. Our writer for thirty-one is in fact Fukuda Takuro, and for thirty-two is Uchida Hiroki. Uh, our director for thirty-one is Ishida Hidenori, and for thirty-two is Sugihara Teruaki. Yeah. Um, it's rare that. This late in the show, we get a new name on the writing staff, and especially one who is this new to writing, but Uchida Hiroki is a young screenwriter, younger, in fact, than both of us. He is 29. Him, baby. <laughs> um, he got his start on individual episodes of Ultraman X in 2015 and Orb in 2016. Uh, he I, he did something else that I forgot, and then a few episodes of Garo vs. Road, and now he's here on Kamen Rider Saber. Um, I really liked Ultraman Orb, especially the episode that he wrote. Uh, since it was only one, I went and looked up the one that it was. Uh, anyone who's watched Orb, it is the episode where Juggler is actually being hunted down by the space mafia that he messed around with. Uh, so it's, it's a really good episode, it's one of my favorites, and it's nice to see new talent getting their feet wet in a lot of different arenas. Absolutely. Not to mention, I, I really like uh, a story where, in the past, a character messed around, and in the present, they're finding out. Oh, it's not even that far in the past, it was just like, the episodes prior to <laughs> that one. Even better. Uh, Juggler is great, he is... Easily my favorite character in Ultraman as a franchise, and he's definitely up there in the whole of Tokusatsu. He lives rent-free in my brain forever now. I have I have seen a lot of people who are very fond of, uh, is it Jugless Juggler? Yes, that is him. Yeah. So, uh... He's a horrible garbage boy, and I love him. There are only two things are going to happen with horrible garbage boys. They're either going to be the most popular... Or you're going to want to punt them into space. Like, there's... When it comes to horrible garbage... He's a little bit of both. Well, okay, I was about to say it only it goes both, but... Or rather, you can only have one, but I'm, I'm glad to see I'm wrong. Um, uh, I, I adore him. He's... Essentially, if you took Kusaka and placed him in the role of D-End... Wow. <laughs> that actually sounds amazing. He's He's great. And then give him, like, an, a katana. Just a normal, completely normal katana. I'm just, I'm just imagining, hey, Tsukasa, yeah? And then he just, you know, it's a long string of expletives. <laughs> that's juggling. Yeah. Nice. Look, that sounds great. And then place him opposite, essentially, Akira from Tokyuger. <laughs> that's even better. As played by the final boss of Deno. I don't know if that's better or not. Uh, he's actually... Honestly, that dude's a pretty good actor when he's in a role that was planned. Uh, well, there's that. And written. Yeah. Man, I love Deno, but I feel so bad that they, they felt they had to be a a 
Kamen Rider series with a final boss and stuff, because they didn't need that. It did create the best moment, but still. Uh, the best moment, of course, being Momotaro's like, okay, we have we can't let him know we're alive until the right moment. Oh crap, we missed the right moment. <laughs> uh it was also it was nice. I, I found out in in uh, the Discord that some friends and I have for D and D. Everyone knows Momotaros. I don't even know if everyone is. They should. Yeah, exactly. I don't even know if everyone's watched the show. Every now and again, it's just hey, it's time for everyone to throw all their different Momotaros gifts at each other, and there is a <laughs> Momotaros gift for every occasion. Oh, of course. Because you know he he's pretty cool. <laughs> hey, don't summon Juggler me again. Juggler is essentially <laughs> Juggler is essentially this character who is an absolute garbage boy whose actions pretty much can't be excused. But he'd do a lot less of those actions if any time he did a good thing, someone ever like just gave him a pat on the shoulder and was like, "Hey." You did good. Ah. Ooh, he's got... That's a nice bit of, of light pathos. I like that. Like, it's it's not explicitly clear in Orb itself, but once... Uh, they just keep... Orb apparently was kind of the deno of, of modern Ultraman, where it made buckets of money, probably because these two dudes are really hot. Well, I mean... Um, so they just keep bringing them back um and it, it gets progressively more clear the more you watch him that he's not a bad dude he's just really angry that no one ever likes him except the audience like he's 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 stuck essentially in cycles of oh the the chosen the chosen one the chosen one's gotta do this thing the ultraman's gonna do it and that's just never him. Aww. And he's like, I tried. I did a cool thing. Why is no one acknowledging my cool thing? Aww. And then he does something dumb and awful. And everyone's like, well, that's why. Hey, I hadn't done the dumb, awful thing yet. You should have acknowledged me in the first place. Dingus. He's, he's a very fun character. And uh, circling back, Uchida Hiroki kind of wrote the episode where he has the most pathos in Orb. Because um, it, it, it's definitely an episode where he definitely seems like he's got all that pathos. And then at the end, he's like, nah, I was messing around the whole time. <laughs> but also, I still really had that pathos. Um, so it's, it's a really good episode of a very good show. I haven't watched X or Versus Road. But it was a really good episode of Orb, so I'm... And he wrote a really good episode of Saber. So I'm curious to see what he'll do in the future. Yeah, yeah. I Honestly, I hope he can become a, a regular, because... And if not a regular, at least someone who, who drops in... In various other people's works. Sort of like, um... Kanako Kaori is with Junko Kimura. Except, you know... Yeah, or, or Hasegawa. Yeah. Or Junko Kimura uh, except... was with uh, uh, Naruhisa Arakawa. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would love to see him 
work his way up and and in you know two three five years however many lead a show yeah honestly that has become one of my like one of the dreams while doing this podcast is just because like yeah sure we have junko kimura where we can we can sort of trace the development of this creative and and with same with um oh goodness the the head writer on zero one who was also the head writer on x8 like we could oh yuya yuya yeah yeah yeah. like you could see the changes and the new stuff and i just i want to see i want to see someone i want us to be able to watch someone come up from episode writer to head writer i just think that'd be fun yeah it's we're gonna have to keep an eye on uchida yeah and hopefully before too long we'll we'll see them do some more cool stuff because i mean like you said there's a did a good episode of saber yeah and honestly the fact that this is like the his fifth gig and he was given this important of an episode yeah yeah i mean but like sold it landed it so (laughs) yeah kids going somewhere yeah looking definitely looking forward to seeing where they go however before we get into those good things and before we can describe the good stuff in 31 so that we can describe the good stuff in 32 let's just touch on the things that didn't work for us in these episodes um, so I really don't have any problem with the bit itself where May is freed from the cat Megid and we see the key fall from her pocket and then Storius kind of slides in and picks it up while no one's looking. But man, it would have been way more of like an oh no, Storius has the key sort of moment if we had any idea what that thing was for and why he might want it. Yeah, like... Look, I, I do appreciate that we aren't all standing around and asking, well, what's that key for? While Sophia just smiles coyly and is like, I'll never tell, but maybe I will. You know, it, it's nice not to have that. But same time, like, the show hasn't been great about making its stakes clear in all matters and does kind of hamper the drama, doesn't it? Yeah, it's just like, I don't know, in 32, when Storius is talking to Logos, he seems to know what it's for, and that, but he's gonna, like, go cause problems on purpose with it, but we still don't know, and at this point, I'm not even really sure it matters. Yeah, cause, like, all I'm getting is, well, yeah, it's important, but, I mean, yeah, we assumed so, but I, I can't be afraid, cause I have no idea what it's, what it's for. Anyway, it's just... Bleh. Also, like, what the heck was up with the goo in Logos' <laughs> mouth at the end of the episode? Like, what was that supposed to signal? It was gross and unsettling, but, like, what does it mean? Saber, you can't just do a gross-out thing for, like, no narrative reason. Yeah, like, I will agree that it's weird. Um, I sort of took it as as the thing where at least in a lot of non-live-action visual media, you know, your your anime, your mangas, etc., um, lots and lots of really visible saliva is a shorthand for, like, villainous mania. But it's it's a 
really weird thing to have as the focus of this shot in a live action thing because it just it really does look like man you got a mouthful of snot what's going on here yeah like it wasn't even saliva it was straight up goo it was like someone like made slime and put it in this dude's mouth for the shot oh, yeah, and that's, like why that's 100 what they definitely did <laughs> Like, why is, why is your mouth like that? It's never been like that before. Or again. Yeah. I... I got, I got nothing, man. <laughs> it's really weird, and I... I kind of wish they hadn't done it, because, like... Like you said, like, I have a fair idea what, what sorts of, of things it's meant to show, but also... The things I think it's meant to show are like, yeah, we already knew, bro. Oh, this dude, this dude is really intense and scary. No, really. <laughs> are you sure? This this cackling, twitching madman is is scary. You say? Oh, hmm. Um, so in thirty two, I'm not sure how I feel. Actually, I'm pretty sure how I feel. I don't like it, but I'm. I'm just- it's weird that Toma was suddenly able to see through Durandal's time-skipping. Like, it doesn't feel like it was triggered by anything. He didn't get a new book where suddenly he's powered up and can see through it, or nothing happened to make him stronger, like, when he could suddenly, like, knock people out of the Megid. He could just suddenly do it. Yeah. And it seemed like he could just do it because we needed to beat Durandal and move the plot along? Uh, yeah, it really... it feels like that was the reason. And... Okay, look, I'm, I'm just gonna lay out on the table that I clearly had a preference for Yuri doing it because he's the comic book guy and that just seemed like it would be really clever. But... Okay, so that's missed opportunity, not actually a problem. But yeah, it's just... Toma figuring it out this quick does kind of suck. I wouldn't have minded the silly-looking dude with the Blade of Time being a bigger threat for just a few minutes longer, because he does have a cool thing, and much as I realize that a lot of that is because it's a serialized thing, and I'm, I'm like, in the back of my head, I'm really thinking of it as if I was watching it all at once, and that makes it hit weird too, because that dude has not been around very many episodes. Yeah, it's... I, like, it didn't even seem like he figured it out. Yeah, he just... Because if he had just figured it out, it's just, he could, like, see it. He said, like, I can see what he's doing. Yeah, and why? How? I... I realize that a plot point has been Toma is destined to acquire great power and, you know, ugh, whatever. But he just, yeah, he just says, oh yeah, I can see it, and and now I can counter it, and that, and now we're done with that, and that's just, like, look, I don't even like Durandal, <laughs> and I'm still annoyed at how fast he's just like, oh, never mind, this really cool threat, and uh, we're done with it. Like, you know, we, we said a lot of nice things about, uh, about uh, Uchida Hiroki up front, but like, Man, that that kind of hit bad. Yeah, it's, that's probably not like, his that fault. That just feels like a thing where it's like we need we need him beaten, so just write something. Yeah, but still, like, mm. 
Though I do admit the bit where Toma actually sees through it and then spins around and blocks him, like, that was very cool. That was a very cool moment. I just wish something had built to it. Yeah, I mean, look, credit where it's due. That bit was pretty sick. But, I mean, yeah, I'm just gonna repeat you. It, it would have worked better if it would have worked better. Um, but that's gonna take us out of the stuff we didn't like into the things we did, because... That was most of it. Um, yeah, I mean, there wasn't a lot of bad things. These were good episodes. Yeah, just real solid. Um, and I, I just want to open us up by saying I really enjoyed this thing where we're starting out with Storius at Logos's side in episode 31 as, as sort of the recap. Like, I know that we're supposed to understand that they're on the same side by now, but it's, it's still a big thing to open with. Even as I appreciate them having Logos and the story-powered guy being there to do the cold open, which, and because they're doing that, and expositing what they just did and what they're about to do, they're sort of keeping the narrator opening going that way, and I think that's really fun. And I just, I really love that moment, and then when it kind of comes back in 32, and it's just... The two of them hanging out being these manic, evil weirdos together. And, like, the way that Storius, like, will get real close to Logos's face, and how for everyone else that's really threatening, but for Logos, he's just like, Haha, yeah, that's fine. Whatever, buddy. Um, that's just how you do. And, because they've both got this same barely restrained manic energy and i'd love to see them both like actively get to throw that around together yeah they they have such good chemistry it's so good but also i just i like that it's not them directly supplanting tassel yet but it just it just starts us off neat and look i realize that someone taking tassel's place is essentially the 10 and 2 of this series uh but it's a thing I'm never going to stop hoping for and just fill it. Like, I'm going to fill it in for myself because that's just how I do. I mean, look, the the fact that it's something that we're never going to stop hoping for just kind of solidifies as, a, as the 10 and 2 of yeah, this series. Exactly. It's not going to happen. I, we, like, I still think it's going to be cool. It would be cool if. So, boy, I really... Man, 10 and 2. Anyway. Blew it, Zio. Frickin' Zio, man. Anyway, just poor, poor Rintero. Like, I know we talked about it last time with the way 31 ends, but opening on him, like, getting patched up and still sulking and, like, having this breakdown about how he feels like he's holding Toma back because he just, he can't win this fight. Like, it's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, and... It just sucks extra hard, because he is this good kid, and he's the person who'd have the instincts to help. Rather, he, he is a good kid, and the thing is that the person who has the instincts that would help him through all this is the person he has to save. And like I have to say, on that level, I, I give some respect, because that's a really good narrative beat on a lot of levels. Also one that should resolve with Mei getting a sword. But whatever. Look, I'm just saying she could have a keyblade. There. Because, like, now we've decided that's what the key does. It turns into a sick-as-heck keyblade, and it's Kingdom Hearts up in here. And wouldn't that be fun? 
It would be. Like, I know it's not going to happen, but just... Look, I, I love May, and I love her as a side character, but I just... I just feel like the story to, would work so much more fun if she had a sword. Give her a cool rider form, I don't know. Well, like, speaking of her going straight from Rintaro having the breakdown to Zuos gloating at her about how, like, she's gonna die and Rintaro can't save her. Like, it, it really felt like kicking both of them while they're down. Yeah, it really was. Which sounds bad, but is kind of some great story. Well, I mean, that's... It makes him a better villain, doesn't it? Like, it it shows that he's evil and also really makes you want to just watch him die. Which, I mean, you know, it makes sense, because this whole bit seems really big on us realizing that our heroes are just on the back foot even when they win at this point. And they have to keep that feeling going, so having these bits where, hey, we got Rintro back, everything's good, oh, May. Crap. Like, it's, I, I appreciate the seesaw there. It's, it's you know, respect. Also, Zeus doing a little backflip while he was gloating, like, I laughed pretty hard at that, but I'm also just very impressed that this guy can just do a standing flip like that. Yeah. Yeah, that dude's physicality is amazing, and I'm glad they're giving him stuff to do with it. I mean, I don't want to go back to Gaim, but we've seen what Gakusano can do, and they yeah. they did not let him do any of the cool stuff he could do. They didn't even give him cool dances to do, and that was the point of the show. Yeah, that kid, is, and I mean, he's not even a kid anymore, but Gakusano is mega-talented, and they wasted him. Yeah, they really did. But but anyway, back to, to like to story stuff proper. I do want to say that all those backflips and stuff just also really highlights what a big bad wolf type Zeus is. Just a straight up fairy tale bad guy. Cuz he's he's if he had a mustache, he would be twirling it, you know? <laughs> just ha oh, yeah. ha. Like, he's, he's three steps away from that at every second, and I love it. I also just really love that Rintro gets to admit he's scared, and that he doesn't feel like he's good enough. Because over the course of this act of the show, he has had every shred of family he's ever known ripped from his hands, and a lot of it by Zuos directly. Yeah. And now this person that he really loves who welcomed him back and made it clear that he has family still and he has a home in these people around him is the one that's in danger again by Zeus and he can't actually do anything about it. Like, he can fight Zeus, but that doesn't solve the maze trapped inside this Megid problem. And, like, of course he'd be scared from that. That's such a human reaction and one that we don't really get to see directly like this in a hero show. Like, yeah, they'll be scared sometimes, but then they'll bury it and fight anyway and then get a power-up to do the thing. <laughs> and, like, no one tells him that he's wrong or that he has to fight through it. Just everyone reaches out with support and empathy, and even though he's at his lowest, Toma continues to believe that he is going to be able to step up and do what he needs to do 
because it's Rintaro. And even though he, and he does. Yeah. Because even though he's scared, and even though he's convinced that he's not as good as Toma, and he's just holding Toma back because he's not good enough, when the Megi shows up, he still goes. And, you know, that's the reason Sophia says he's got the strongest sense of justice amongst all of the swordsmen, and she's right. He can't run away when anyone needs his help. Yeah, which... Like, look, it has been, because of stuff like that, because he's just the best dude, it's honestly been really unpleasant to follow Rentro the past uh, few months. Because there's a level at which him getting ground down like he has been, like, it does serve as this interesting foil to a lot of comeback stronger narratives. Because, yeah, he is spending a lot of time getting ground into the dirt. But he's also not falling into the trap of pretending that everything except his duty or, or whatever core thing uh, is extraneous and therefore bad. He, he goes through all this and, it, and they don't write him falling into the toxic, harder is better, I must forget kindness and f exist only for a, as a tool for justice, or, you know, whatever nonsense. Honestly, as, as he goes on, he's been getting more vulnerable and more open, and... I, like, I don't know about you, that just, that does my heart a lot of good. And, and there's a level where Rintro is kind of pushing up against uh, Arata Taga uh, Kagami from Kabuto as being the second, the secondary writer who's secretly the protagonist of the show. Like, I know Toma's the one with the most stuff to do personally, but Rintro is the one who's got the better defined arc. At least as far as I'm concerned. He, he really does. He's He's got a much stronger overall story. Because his, his arc has always been active. Yeah. Where so much of Toma's arc kind of falls to the wayside until it's time for him to get a power-up. Yeah. And even then, sometimes the power-up is just, oh, hey, here's the thing. Okay. Like, he just... He, he just goes forward, but Rintro's the one who, like, he makes calls. He makes decisions, and sometimes they're really rough ones that no one should have to make. And it's just, like, yeah, he's probably not, like, you understand why he would think, yeah, I'm not going to be able to, to do the cool thing like Toma can, because, you know, subtextually, uh, metatextually, rather, um, it's not his name on the show. <laughs> And it just, I don't know, every, every time he gets a win, it just, it feels so good and so earned. Yeah. Whereas Toma, like, look, I'm not even saying anything bad about Toma. It's just, when Toma gets a win, it's like, well, you know, his name is on the front of the show. And it's it's not even that his wins are, aren't earned. No. They yeah. are. It's just, you know he's gonna get them. Where, you know, Rintaro has had losses. Yeah, Rintaro is. Rintro's been through the ringer. That kid has seen some stuff. And Though I, I do, in Toma's defense, because I do love Toma. Oh, yeah, we're absolutely. Not, we're not knocking Toma. I do love that when Rintro runs toward this fight, what he arrives to is Toma, like, screaming to the heavens about how much he believes in Rintro. If it was up to him, Rintaro would be the main character of the show. Oh yeah, 100%. And, you know, even if Rintaro isn't there to hear it, Toma's going to shout his praises from the rooftops, and that's 
really enough to get Rintaro going again. And then, you know, that shot of him responding to that by running in and grabbing Toma's sword off the ground in order to defend him was so good. Yeah, it really was. Again, just, Rintro is such a lovely character, especially if you're fond of the pure-hearted, do-the-right-thing kind of guy, like I am, because, look, I know I know people say that Superman is is stupid and impossible to write, and it, because, like, yeah, he always does the right thing, but that's only true if you think doing the right thing is always cut and dry and easy. And, like, Rintro shows, man, you can go through a lot of stuff and not know what the right thing is. And I, I love it, man. I just, I love Rintro so much. He, he is my best boy. I, I really adore him. Um, and I, I love the duel that he and Toma have. Yeah! Like, I love how much Rintro can feel that Toma is scared and desperate to protect these people that he loves and that he feels like he has to save Kento and Luna because he didn't save them that one time. And he resonates with that and that's really what gets him to to make that leap with his sword. And like, you know, they've they've got the two swords crossed and the swords are glowing and they're like shoulder to shoulder and they start grinning like idiots at each other because they just they figured it out. Yeah. And that was precious. That was a that was an amazing shot. That was some amazing acting. And then cutting to them lying on the ground. It was maybe a little bit of a weird cut because the fight was already pretty much over. <laughs> I kind of wish we'd gotten to see them collapse yeah. and then roll onto their back and stuff, but I don't know, it was also just really cute giving them that moment to breathe and come back together as friends and partners. Yeah, it was really sweet. Because they could have just had the fight, and after the fight, now they're bros again, grr, arg, power violence, whatever. But you, you give them that extended bit of just grinning and and they're falling on their back and that's just a really powerful reminder of their humanity uh, especially since it's so easy for a lot of these series to forget the humanity of their writers honestly even in series where they're trying to highlight that humanity because okay like look i'm gonna go after ghost for just a second it's really easy for the hug of redemption to become the hug you owe people who hurt you and that sucks. Like, I, I don't think that was ever the intention, but I definitely saw people making a good case that that's a, a way it could be read, and, like, that always sucked to to hear and think about because you, you hate hearing that a clearly good intention could be used bad. And look, we haven't seen a lot of that in Saber, which is, is really nice. It's just... I really like the way they, they engage with the vulnerability and humanity of of their protagonists throughout is what I'm trying to say. Like, I love that they, they kind of take that moment to bond over how May is just this absolute light and joy in their lives, and how she's always doing her best to make a bad situation better, and they're grateful to have her, and how much they love her for being that person in their lives, and we get that little flashback to when she first met Toma and you really get to see 
kind of that moment in which they connected. Because we've seen the moments in which she and Rintaro have connected, but getting to see the start of that for her and Toma really emphasizes that she truly is the sun in this show, and I'm glad we have this moment of our two core heroes kind of acknowledging that they would be completely lost without her. And they would. Because, like, there's a degree to which, like, Eiji and Ankh would have been very lost without Hina, and she never gets acknowledgement for that. Yeah, that's incredibly true. There, There is a lot of that where the main girl, even to a degree Izu, because we saw that that was true when it happened, but, and I think the, the fact that they took her for, kind of for granted before that, I mean, I know that the, the Izu death was not initially planned, but it really did help emphasize that she was taken a bit for granted, and that when she was gone, it left this gaping hole so, I don't know, it's just, it's nice to see Mei acknowledged in a way that the leading rider lady isn't very frequently. Yeah. And and then, you know, they, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go, you go. Um, just, you know, then wordlessly they both get really serious and, you know, Rintaro reaches out for Toma and grabs his hand and it's very clear that, okay, we have settled things. Time to go wreck shop and bring our girl home. Yeah, which, like, that was just the bit I was going to mention, because it's so good. And I, I really love that they are evoking, like, the manly bond, the, the, the predator handshake that has since become a meme. But it's not like, grr, arg, look at our, our flexing muscles, we're so manly. It's, their manly bond is about warmth and feelings and vulnerability and softness and i just again i just think that's great because you don't get a lot of that i i know that a common writer who isn't completely ashamed of their feelings isn't isn't a new thing but like it's always refreshing to see it yeah um and i i mentioned this a little already but zuos does it again and i love that he's just running around doing like flips and parkour over May's body while she's laying on the ground terrified of her potential impending death. He's such a weirdo, and I love him. Yeah, honestly, same. Because on top of everything else, it, it just highlights the inhumanity and what becoming this thing has done to his head. Because there's cackling evilly about how you're going to fridge this gal to hurt a guy you have beef with. And then there's doing that in between backflips, which, like, <laughs> yo, that's a whole other level. And, and like, it's just there to lay down justification for when dude inevitably gets got, because, oh, wow, even the, even the most, like, ardent villain defender is gonna have a lot of trouble with Zuos pretending like, oh no, he's just misguided, he's a really good guy actually, if you think about it. Like, no, no, you're just not gonna have any sympathy for him, because because he's just, like, doing backflips while cackling about how he's going to murder this girl. 
Or, or like, if you're going to have sympathy for him, the sympathy is going to be for the guy he used to be who turned into the cackling backflipping guy. Like, because, yeah. like, yeah, if if we knew those guys, all, all of the, the McGee's deaths would probably be really tragic, huh? Yeah, we maybe should have, you know, spent some time on that. Yeah, but, you know, whatever, it's, it's, it's still, it's still sort of there, but it's just like, boy, much as he's just this weird backflippy man, you're just like, Oh, I look forward to what you get got, dude. <laughs> I want to see this man explode. So I love, like, Toma and Rintro doing the slow motion walk-in and, like, Toma putting his hat on. <laughs> like, there's a level on which it's pretty goofy, because these boys are very goofy, but also it's very cool and very earned. Yeah, which, like, what is Common Rider? if not the tension between tremendous amounts of goofiness and also well-earned cool shots. Like, the only one that doesn't yeah. worry about that is Kuga, but we have talked about how Kuga is a very different animal than most Rider series. Um, and then that double henshin, where <laughs> they don't cut away to stock footage and they just let them have that moment in place. Like, so chef's cool. kiss. Yeah. Perfect. Amazing. You did it. Honestly, like, when they don't make the henshins just go on and on and on with all the stock footage and the screaming catchphrases, everything hits so much harder. Like, that beat worked so good. Yeah. Also, I love that just before that henshin, we also get Zuos trying to talk some smack to them, you know, when they're about to transform. But he, again... In keeping with his theme in this episode, he's doing all the smack talk between doing, like, flips and spins and dance moves. And then while he's doing that, uh, the, the cat monster that's got Mei is just, like, dancing or voguing or just posing, whatever, whatever you'd call it, beside him. Just to hammer home that, oh yeah, the villains are goofy, too. <laughs> I just, I loved, like, he's doing, he's like on the ground doing a leg sweep and she's just sort of like rolling her back and then like leaning forward at the at the waist and it's like what are you two doing <laughs> you're just ev everyone here is a weirdo yeah, exactly like look we didn't put on we didn't get all these camera people here we didn't lay all these pyrotechnics for anyone to be chill we are here to be extra as hell, and you're gonna like it. And I do, actually, so. And as much as I did want, you know, Rintero's sword glowing, meaning he gained the power to cut the Megid off of Mei, I do really like that he turned to Toma and told him to do what he does and save her while he handled Zuos. Because Rintero's conflict wasn't about him not being able to do it. It was about him feeling like if he couldn't do it, he was a failure. And the resolution to that is that he's not a failure for not being able to use that technique. It's that he and Toma have different strengths and they're partners. They, they work together, so they need to play off of each other's strength and rely on each other to do the thing they do to solve the problem. 
So by having Rintaro let go and believe in Toma's ability to save Mei, Rintaro doing what he can to hold back Zuos makes him a better version of himself. Yeah, absolutely. And it owns bones, dude. Because, like, look, I definitely wanted Rintaro to just straight up save the day. Because, again, I'm a fan. But him putting his ego aside to make as certain as possible that May gets saved. Like, hey man, I might get the, the crap kicked out of me by this weird monster man, you, but that's okay as long as you get May out of that cat monster. Like, that's great. And that's not a thing you see a lot, where it's just, hey, you do the thing, I'll do my thing, and there's no, like... There's no bit where, where the person saying that, like, comes around and actually you know, ends up saving the day. Like, you know, this is still kind of Toma's win, but it becomes Rintro's win because Rintro has overcome his ego. He's about the job now, and it's it's really good. It's beautiful. Yeah, and just the bit where you cut to them inside the suits, and Rintro asserts that he believes in Toma's ability to save Mei. Like, that was so good. That was a really genius moment because it needed face acting we need to see how much Rintaro actually believes it on his face and the joy that Toma feels as he accepts that belief in order for that moment to land yeah which like again this is a Hidenori Ishida joint so I would expect nothing less than understanding how these things work because that's the guy who directed the final fight in Kuga which is famous and fantastic in that it is a fight where the suits fade out and eventually you just are left with the misery of a pacifist pounding his, this awful teenager's face in. Like, knowing what to show and what not to show is the art of this thing. And I love Ethan Ishida's aesthetic and sense for that, because... Like, look, you, you gotta know when to use the suits and how to use them well, but you also gotta know how to use the face actors. And, frankly, a lot of even the best directors that we've had just rarely know how to do both. Yeah, it's generally one or the other. Yeah. Which, you know, hey, look, no shade. <laughs> like, it's it's pretty good if you even know how to do one. But the ones who know how to do both and intercut between them and know when to make it hit, it just... It rules. Yeah, and, like, I'm saying this as someone who has directed, not, like, professionally, but on, like, you know, student projects, and I hate it. I cannot do it. I am not a director. So, you know, being able to do one yeah. is impressive as heck to me. Being able to do both is some, like, god-tier stuff that I cannot even imagine. Yeah, man, I I have never tried it. I, I, it seems like a lot of work. So, you know, like, hats off to, hats off to an all-time great, so. I'm. And I love that in that moment, mm. um, Rintero, like, May starts responding to them also, and... Rintero tells May to lift her head as kind of a response to this moment that we got a flashback to when they were, you know, kind of bonding over her. 
of Rintro remembering May telling him to do the same when he was kind of down and out. He's regarding May as a member of Northern Base. Like, I, I want to say as a member of Logos, but they're not really any of them members of Logos anymore. Yeah, but no. he he's regarding her as though she were another swordsman with all of the respect and strength that that carries. He's telling her by saying that thing that she said to him that she is as strong as they are and she could do this if she had a Seiken of her own. Which she should, but she doesn't. Just love it. Love to see Mei getting the praise and acknowledgement she deserves. Yeah, she really does. I'm, I was also glad to see it. That said, I just want a plus one that, look, she doesn't need a sword to be cool in the context of the show, because she's already cool. But, like, give me a sword, you cowards. Give her a sword. I, I adore that there's this cute moment of Rintaro going out of his way to drop the kun suffix from addressing Toma. Like, he, he actively stops himself. And they kind of tease him a little, and then he just kind of, like, shouts Toma's name. And then May's like, hey, hey, d drop it from my name, too. Address me this way. And it's a kind of thing where I come back to my preference of including suffixes in the subtitles. Um, even though, you know, we don't have them in English, and there's not an easy way to translate ones like Kuhn. Like, San, you can always shift to using, like, Mr. or Miss in front of the name, and that kind of has the same connotations. Or, like, Chan, you can kind of fudge with a nickname, uh, you know, instead of Goto-chan, using Broto, um, for better or for worse. But Kun is something that carries kind of... It's still somewhat respectful, but it's someone who's kind of on equal terms with you, but that you're not, like, close with, I guess. Um, where, you know, Rintaro dropping that and referring to Toma only by his name indicates a new level of closeness between them. Yeah, and it's, it's a thing you can only do when, you, when you've taken the time to to do the the honorifics as part of the translation. Because, look, I really appreciate attempts to localize things such that you try to get the gist of that kind of thing apart, uh, you know, across. Because, like, look, I, like, the the uh, Aesir subs of uh, Kamen Rider Forza, you know, there's, there's a lot of Chan, Kun going on, and I, I think they, they came up with some good ways around it, even if some people, nah, not so much, but, you know, it, it's all a matter of taste. But, yo, there is really nothing like when the, the kun falls away and they just refer to each other by their names, like, you need to understand what's going on there. And you can't put it across with all the weight that it should have unless you, unless you, the audience, has taken time to understand what all of these things mean in the first place. And once you have a way to appreciate how all the honorifics work, all the attempts to cut it out falls short, even as even as I say, again, like, I'm a guy who likes when they do the localization. 
I mean, I, I've seen it done sort of well in the the Vroom episode of Zen Kaiser, but even then, they had to work really hard. And if they just would have had the the Sama in there, they wouldn't have had to to play around with it so much. It just would have been there. But yeah, I just I also really appreciate when uh, when they can when they do that moment because that's a that's a moment you could only get out of out of the Japanese stuff, which I don't know. That's part of why I'm here for the 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 transmission of morals across cultures. I think that's a really interesting thing. Not morals necessarily, values. Anyway, um also around there there's just this bit where uh Rintro, May, and Toma are all just being happy and relieved together. And then you see Kento in the background all angsty with his burlap looking coat, which like look, I know it's I always say it looks like burlap. It's a it's still a pretty snazzy looking coat. Um, because he just, he won't make the jumps that Rintro's spent this whole chunk of the show making. And it's, it's just real heartbreaking, because, you know, you know the kid would be happier if he just let himself be loved, but he's too busy, mm, dark, brooding, the future, mm. and it's just, it's a, it's a it's, shame. Yeah, and you can tell that he wants to, because he keeps going like, man, they defied the future that I saw again. And, but this sword is just screaming so loud in his head that, oh, well, even though this happened, this could still happen, so you still gotta go do the thing. And it's like, just let him get a hug. Yeah. From his dudes. Yeah. Like, let's, let's, let him come back into the fold and that'll just make him want to protect them even harder, because that's just how it goes. But, <sighs> angsty, angsty boys. I do love the bit when they're back at Northern Base and May, they, like, May is jumping and it looks like Rintaro and Tom are, like, running in to catch her because it looks like she may have jumped off of something. <laughs> I'm not sure what. It was kind of a weird shot, but it was very cute. And, you know, then we come back to the pins that May made to signify that, you know, we're all one big family, we're all connected by these. Um, and it was very sweet. I also really, it was very, very funny how she gives Daishinji and Sophia's theirs, and we see them, and then we see the looks on their faces, and how they're both like, really, this is, this is how you see me? This is what you think I, I am like? Which, like, that's so good. And I'm so glad Sophia's back just for moments like that. Because I, I honestly just want her, Ogami, and Daishinji to have, like, I don't know, some sort of net movie or something. Just for a chance to throw down together and, and bounce off of each other. Because they have great chemistry. Like, you definitely believe that, hey, these are people who've been fighting monsters together for the past decade and change. I also... I heckin' love Tassel's little shoulder bird flying in, like, cutting to Yuri, and the little bird flies in, and it's just like, yo, Yuri, some dumb garbage has gone down, and now Tassel's gonna be away for a bit. Please go back to the show, they kind of need you. <laughs> That's so good. Also, like, of course they have it, so a little bird told him, right? This is really cute. <laughs> I don't know. Um, it... It, it's a very cute realization of that idiom. Mm. But I also think it's really interesting that the bird said Tassel will come back if his power returns. Yeah. Not when his power returns. 
Yeah, which um, I'm looking forward to that kind of drama, I have to say. Unless that's just yeah. because they can't afford uh, to, to have Les Romantiques Toby around, because I, I would imagine Toby has better things to do if they aren't going to pay. Because yeah. Toei is rather infamous for not paying people well enough to uh, to have exclusive exclusivity to their time. Yeah. Also, like I have to say his name like that because it is in all caps. So. So rolling into thirty two, I adore how absolutely feral with excitement Daishinji gets when a new sword thing happens. <laughs> And I love that Ogami is so used to that from him that when Daishinji is getting that sword dangerously close to his neck, he just kind of leans away and laughs. Like, that moment had very big Sento and Ryuga energy, and I love it for that. Oh, yeah. Wow, they really are just Sento and Ryuga, huh? They really are, like, Sento and Ryuga in their 40s. <laughs> Which, hey, you know, here for it. Please, does that make Daishinji... Sora's second dad? I'm here for it. Yeah, kind of. I don't know if Daishinji is... I mean, he... I think he basically is. Yeah, like, I, I doubt that he would... He's like, no, I'm really more of, like, a really cool uncle. Daishinji, do you think you're really cool? I mean, yeah, of course. Am I not really cool? What? <laughs> That's a surprise to me. <laughs> but seriously, though, I am always here for when we get those bits of Daishinji getting in everyone's face, being all just, do you know... What this means? Honestly, like, if they could, if they ever did, like, an American adaptation of Saber, which, that'd be a wild thing, huh? Yeah. The only way to capture Daishinji's manic energy would be to cast, like, a young Gene Wilder. Or maybe Frank Gorshin, but mostly I just, I get very strong young Gene Wilder vibes from him. Yeah. Because, like, I don't know any current actors who do that kind of, like, really mellow small energy to really, really big energy. But, like, I know, probably some proper Shakespearean actor, but whatever. I just, I really love his energy, and, and Gene Wilder is, is just where I go with it. Man, rest in peace, Gene Wilder. That guy is so good. Yeah. He was so good. Pour one out so for a legend. The CGI for... Uh, the CGI for Logos firing that magic arrow was very bad, <laughs> but it was still pretty cool. It was still a very cool moment, mm. um, especially that this is a show full of, like, magic swordsmen, and Logos has this, like, energy archery in his back pocket that he, like, he doesn't need a physical thing to do this. He can just go outside and do that whenever he wants. Like, I don't know if that's going anywhere, but I kind of wish it would. Yeah. Because, man, uh, bringing a ranged DPS to your melee fight? I mean, honestly, it's a pretty smart move. And for a guy called Master Logos to have that kind of lateral thinking, that would, that would be one more way in which Master Logos is actually a very kind of intimidating villain. And also, like, it was a great way to lead into the credits. But it's just, it is weird that it's not a part of his arsenal most of the time, so, like, I don't know. Yeah, like, dude, why are you not just doing that? Yeah, snipe him! Why you, know, you can shoot this literally all the way around the planet? Yeah, why, why stop? Why, why do anything else? 
But it's it's just that thing where every time the show remembers that they honestly have a great excuse to do literally anything, they they do remember to do cool stuff, and I just I wish they'd remember that more. Yeah. Uh, I do have to give Ikushima Yuki credit. He can play big and bombastic and loud and world's best dad really well. I did not expect him to be able to dial it back and so perfectly land the regret Ogami felt for not being able to bring Ren back. I mean, I guess it's part of that dad energy because if he looks at the younger swordsman as kind of surrogate sons, he probably feels like he's failed Ren by not being able to get through to him and get him to come back to Northern Base. Yeah, and like you said, he does nail that energy. But hey, you know, sometimes your kid gets all mixed up with the undesirable types who have the best designs in the show. So, like, what can you do, right? Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes sometimes your kid just gets a weird goth boyfriend. Yeah. Man, I really just love thinking of 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 Ren and and Disast is just like, yeah, is my delinquent son and his just even more delinquent goth boyfriend. <laughs> it's like the thing that a lot of people like sometimes when people talk about Deno, that's what they that's how they characterize him. And it's like, well, no, that's it's not what I got when I saw Deno, but you know, whatever. Anyway, I just I love Disast. I, it just needs saying again, he's got the best design on this freaking show. He really is great. Um, okay, so the most threatening Storius has ever been is when Zuos is going absolutely wild in Northern Base, and, you know, Storius kind of just kind of makes fun of him a little bit, and he turns around and, like, swings at him, and it blows up the whole room, but Storius just kind of, like, lifts his arm to block being hit and like it doesn't stop the attack it blows up the whole room and he doesn't like grab the punch and try and like be more intimidating and get Zuos back on track he just lets this happen and laughs it off and lets the room get destroyed but the attack just rolls off of him like water off a duck and I was like oh okay your final boss. Okay, yes, I understand. Yeah, yeah. I really, I really enjoyed that too. And again, I, I appreciate how much sense that makes. Because if I'm going to get all, like, up my own everything and, and metafictional, if Storius is a guy with the power over narrative, and we've seen that some characters who've been touched by the Wonder World can at least speak across the fourth wall... Yes, yeah, Storius is in the best position to be the villain. Because, <laughs> like, Logos might have a freaking sick plan for world domination, but it still has to exist inside of this narrative framework, and that kind of means he's under Storius' purview, huh? Yeah, a little bit. But also it, it makes it the most fun because it's, yes, the evil god of stories versus an author, and that's a fun final battle. Yeah. Also, upgraded Zuos is just a really cool monster suit. Like, I already kind of liked normal Zuos, but going from the, like, white and blue to black and red is just real cool. It really is. Also, I'm tempted to make a 
joke about that dress from a few years back where everyone couldn't agree on what color it was because light is, is weird and colors are fake. But I, I just I couldn't come up with a proper joke. Uh, dear listener, make up your own. Uh, that said, Lava Beast Zeus was indeed a pretty good look for him. Definite improvement for me. So I, I really love Toma and Rintaro kind of doing a sword fist bump. Like, it, it had all of the energy of a fist oh, bump, did. but it was just them kind of, like, knocking their swords together. Like, it's a small thing, but it highlights kind of the change that happened in their bond in 31, and that it's sticking around. And, you know, like, it meant something. And, like, that was just kind of really cool. Yeah, it really was. And thank goodness they're letting us know it meant something, because... These boys deserve to make their friendship, you know, or, or whatever form their relationship takes, be known. I'm, I'm glad to see them just out there essentially fist-bumping and high-fiving. Yeah. Like, let, let dudes let... be friends and have emotions and, like, show that they care about each other. Yeah. Be intimate with one another on... on on all kinds of levels. Again, it's it's the thing where when people's argument against uh, Godai and Ichijo and Kuga or Captain Marvelous and Joe in Gokaijer, their argument is, well, look, that's just how friends act. I, I'm so happy for them that their, their, that their friendships between two men are that kind of close and intimate. Because, like, look, I, I would prefer... Not prefer. I would like more explicit gay and, and queer rep in in everything. But, uh, yo, if that's how how these people's friendships are, that rules, actually. I'm not... You know what? Yeah. I'm not going to give you any crap. <laughs> oh, boy. When Durandal says he doesn't know nor care why Logos wants this all-powerful book, and that he just truly believes it's for pure and just reasons. It's absolutely wild how deep that kind of garbage can get into someone's brain. Because, like, there's a reason that these books are locked away and no one gets to touch them or see them or know they exist. And he's just like, nah, I'm sure this is fine. I'm sure this is on the up and up. Because he's just been told his whole life, like, yeah, that guy, that guy always does the right thing. That's why he's in charge. It's like, buddy, y'all out here, like, committing murders. <laughs> you you don't have one question, but it is it is funny what happens when you let just someone else be your entire moral system, huh? Good thing that boy didn't take all those classes about commie junk like critical theory or whatever. I'm, I'm sure the world is much better because he knows the right man to listen to. Uh, though I, I do love how easily Reka is kind of thrown off balance by the news that a Megid is in Northern Base. And that her faith is very shaken when she goes to get Gekido and sees that Toma wasn't lying about there being a Megid that was sent with them. Like, she sees Zuos. And when we see her remembering that, it's very clear she is grappling with some stuff. And it's the same stuff that she has been gaslighting others with, especially Rintaro, you know, for the past four or five months. 
there is some real justice still in her somewhere, buried and smothered by these two incredibly overbearing jerks in her life. And I hope that she can dig that up and use it to knock him down a peg or two. Yes. Yes, please. Because, like, look, someone else can kill her brother, because I imagine a fratricide would mess her up. And, you know, that's generally a bad thing. But, like, if she could just wreck her brother's whole business and then lop off Logos' head, I think that'd be great. Because, like, I know yeah. the heroes usually get that, but... Logos and Durandal aren't dehumanizing the heroes quite like they are Reika. Which, like, it sucks extra because she's such a cool villain, and now she's got to split her cool villain-tude with her brother, who, um, how to put this delicately, sucks. He sucks on toast. He is so boring. Like, he has a cool power. He honestly has not done a single thing. He has done less things than Ren, which is impressive because Ren has done maybe one thing. No, he's done, he's done two. He's yelled about how Kento's great, and then hung out with Disast. So that that's two things, and that is definitely yeah. that's definitely more things than than Durandal has. Because like you could replace Durandal with like. Just hey, I have an evil fish. There. Or you could just give the really cool power to Reika, cause she's having trouble. It's like, yeah, sure, just swap out your sword. Give me that one. Cool. Here, take this one. It doesn't matter to me. I'm Master Logos. <laughs> All the swords are gonna come back to me eventually, anyway. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I just I want a bit where Logos just has to swipe her library card. I don't know why the image of him just having a database of library cards is hilarious to me, but it is. So I really hope the bit where Daishinji hands Ikazuchi to Mei means something for the long run. Um, I mean, I hope I know there's not a whole heck of a lot left, but I don't know, there's maybe like 15 to 20 episodes. There's still time. I mean, the ending is... is you know, Toma and Rintaro and her dancing, yeah. and it shows Toma and Rintaro, and then Espada, and she's wearing yellow, like, you can do it, just give it to her. You yeah. handed it to her, just let her do it. Yeah, Let, let her do it, it's fine. Yeah. It's don't, fine. Don't fize this for me, guys. Don't like, hey, here's the sword, no, you can't actually use it. Like, no. Look, because here's the thing, there's an extra sword. Because even if Kento takes it back, that means that that um, uh, the Kuriyama, that's an extra sword now. So, like, no matter what happens, there's a whole other sword up for grabs. And while I don't put it past them to introduce just a whole new character just for the express purpose of not giving Mei a sword, because, like, look, it's happened. It's Kamen Rider, that is, that is what they do. Yeah. But, like, I really hope they don't. Because it would be silly. Just let her have let her have the lightning sword. Let her have cool lightning powers. She's cool, and I think she would rock some lightning powers. Again, you can just do the thing they did in, in Kiva. Where it's just, okay, you just, you keep the same look. It's the same, it's the same suit actor. 
We just say it's a lady in there. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. The suit doesn't need to be hyper-feminine. Look how popular Valkyrie was. Yeah. Man, I still love the Valkyrie suit. Like, the, the base great. Valkyrie cheetah. That's a good suit. So, Ogami body-slamming Zuos through a wall and, like, falling five stories out into the actual Arctic was incredibly boss of him. Yeah, it really was. But, you know, that's why he's the king of dads. Like, sure, he can't stop Zuos, because eh, this isn't his fight. But that kind of move reminds you that, for all he is a wee man, he stands head and shoulders above even the coolest of media dads. He is the king of dads. He really is. Uh, so for all that this show doesn't like to explain its MacGuffins, because it really doesn't, I do love that we keep being like, here is this artifact of incredible power. Let's just give it to May. <laughs> May, hold this for us for a while. Just We just keep giving them to her because she is this absolutely unstoppable, uncorruptible force of good. Yeah, she is. And you know that once she sets out to using whatever those little contrivances are, she's going to melt some faces and it's going to own. I also really love seeing Sophia actively holding off Zuos. Like, give her some wilder magic. Let her have some offensive spells instead of just defense. Let this woman green DPS instead of just being a healer. Like, she's clearly ready to rock. Let her rock. Right? Like, she's some kind of awesome high-level cleric demigoddess already, right? Sure, she can't do the same stuff as Storius, but let her get in that dude's face anyway. And look, I already brought up Kingdom Hearts earlier, but just give her some white mage spells and make her... give her the same level of power as Minnie in Kingdom Hearts 2. Or let her expel people to the freaking Phantom Zone like Minnie Mouse did in Birth by Sleep. Sophia should be at least as dangerous in Minnie as Minnie Mouse is what I am saying. Queen Minnie Mouse is an absolute stone-cold horror show, and I love her. It is my favorite thing about Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, it's great. And also, Sono, I personally am very glad to hear that, because I do not want her to send you to the Phantom Zone for disrespecting her. <laughs> She'll do it. She's... She will. She has no hesitation. She is nuts like i i love it i wish there was more weird disney stuff in kingdom hearts yeah like the kingdom hearts nonsense is great but like man i i there are times where i get kind of sad that we don't get to do stuff much stuff narratively on the mickey mouse side unless he's just like coming in and being like haha did someone say the door to darkness <laughs> Like, Mickey Mouse has to say the name Xehanort multiple times. Like, that's not a thing that should it's, happen. It's great. Y'all, um, I mean, if you follow us, you probably follow Suribot on Twitter. He does the most amazing, like, Kingdom Hearts Mickey Mouse impression. <laughs> it is, I have several recordings of it somewhere in my phone. It is so funny. Yeah, you you sent me one of them. It's amazing. Um, also, just because we're talking Kingdom Hearts, uh, one of my favorite podcasts is one called Kingdom Smarts, where a Kingdom Hearts superfan explains just 
as much as she can of Kingdom Hearts to a guy who's never played any of the games in a half hour chunks. It's it's a lot of fun. And boy, just hearing someone straight up explain Kingdom Hearts stuff, you're like, man, Kingdom Hearts is nuts. It the biggest experience I've had with that is I was at like kind of a fast dine-in restaurant. Like it wasn't a nice dine-in restaurant. It was like a it was a very like fast kind of a higher end fast food. It was a Noodles and Company. I don't know how many people know about Noodles and Company. You know, it's, it's, I don't know, it's essentially on the level of, like, a Denny's, but it's not, like, a diner. They just served a bunch of different kinds of, like, pasta and noodles. It's It wasn't a great place, but we ate a lot there because it was cheap, and it was at the mall. So we'd go see a movie, and that's where we would eat before or after. But we were, we had gotten our food, and we were sitting down, and we were talking about, like, how weird and incomprehensible Kingdom Hearts is, and... The entrance was behind the the booth that we were in, and a, and also that was where the line formed. And a dude came in, heard us, and over the back of our booth, like explained the entire lore to Kingdom Hearts to us, and we were like, "What, <laughs> sir? Sir, this is sir, a this is a Noodles and Company." <laughs> Oh, I don't know if that dude rules or is just the worst person on earth. I mean, he he was very he wasn't like well actually about it. Oh, good. He was like, "You seem confused. Let me explain it." And we were like, oh, "Okay, uh, I guess." I'm afraid the explanation does not help. <laughs> it was very weird and confusing, but it's it's a memory that I look back on fondly because. It was as incomprehensible as Kingdom Hearts itself. Yeah, I mean, yeah, honestly, I think if you're going to have someone explain Kingdom Hearts to you, that is the ideal way to have it happen. Just like, what the heck even is this? Well, you see, <laughs> you seem to be confused. Let me, let me alleviate that confusion for you. Okay, so coming back to Saber. <laughs> Sorry. I feel like I... <laughs> I feel like I shouldn't like this, but I really love Northern Base's chunk of the Book of All Knowledge and All Power becoming Rintero's upgrade book. Yeah, it shouldn't work. Like, that should be something that's just like, what? No. But yeah, it really works so well. And it's, it's because a Kamen Rider power-up is either the climax or the culmination of an arc. And in, in this case, it is the culmination of Rintero's arc. His whole Phase 2 storyline has been about him having to redefine what his family is and what that means to him. And when he finally gets the resolve to completely throw off this false family that Logos forced upon him, he realizes that the people who keep reaching out to him and support him are the family that he wants to protect. These people in this place are his real home, and when he realizes that, his home responds. So like, good. As much as I feel a little shaky on May being given the responsibility of guarding this all-powerful artifact and then immediately transferring that to Rintero, having that power come from May's hands is significant. Because she is really the core of how much Rintero has been able to grow and realize this truth 
and find this resolve. So that book being given from her to him is part of that arc. And that his henshin call regards this upgrade as a guardian kind of adds more fuel to that metaphorical fire. This is Rintaro's home, and he's going to guard it and the people he loves who make it so. And that this scene with kind of this many layers was penned by a very new screenwriter who has never written Kamen Rider before gives me a lot of hope for his future, and I really hope that Uchida keeps working within the tokusatsu circles in the future. Yeah, same. Because, like, look, I have not seen that episode of Orb, but every episode of X was pretty solid. And knowing how to tie the upgrades to the theming to the character is such an important skill, and it works so well here. Yeah, it's... Like I said, that episode of Orb is really good and it, I feel like the reason so many people love Juggler is because of that episode because that episode kind of gave him more depth than he'd had otherwise up oh, so until much later in the show so it's like the, so it's... the Leo episode except of, of uh, Zhuoger except it actually you know mattered yeah and also, like, Juggler wasn't that kind of insufferable. He was insufferable, but not in that way. But then then there's the bit where Logos tells Durandal to withdraw, and he's like, okay, but I'm gonna kill this guy first, and Logos has to physically remove him from Northern Base. Like, I laughed so hard at that. You big idiot, you're gonna get wrecked so hard when Logos decides to actually start doing something. Yeah, and it's it's hard not to laugh. Because, like, look, it's a great moment. Because, hey, you almost had a personality trait, Durandal. Lucky you. Oh, no, Logo said no. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just such a fun reminder that while Logos is, again, like, probably not at the actual main villain here, he's at least a really fun penultimate villain. Like, the guy before the ultimate villain. So, you know... I, Again, I, I just, I love Logos. He's such a wonderful, terrible, horrible man. I also love, you know, as, as Rintros is, is fighting, he's got these flashes of previous generation swordsmen, and then it settles on his master, kind of at his side. And he's just finally been able to live up to this, uh, to this person that he's admired so much for so long. And I just thought that was a very sweet moment. Yeah, it really was. And, and the more I think on it, I appreciate that his arc isn't about surpassing or overcoming his mentor. Like, that's just, that's not what his dreams are. He doesn't need to be the big dang hero. He's proud to be a solid part of something bigger than himself. And, like, I don't know, that's just really beautiful. You don't see it that often. And on top of that, we we have him connecting with all of these other people and they're not telling him what his identity is he's not losing his identity by being a part of this group indeed he's finding it and it's not because they've told him who to be but because being around others inspires him to be the person he wants to be and that's i don't know it's a silly line to draw maybe 
but there is there is something so good to me about managing the balance of being a hero and also being kind of grounded in your ambitions. Like, yeah, he's going to save the world, no problem. But not because he needs to prove anything, even to himself. He, he's going to save the world because that's what he does. And the people around him remind him why he want to save the world in the first place. And I don't know, I just... There's something in the nuance of how he how Rintro is presented that just makes him such a fascinating character. Then just the whole fight and Rintro and Zuo's kind of flying around outside Logo and like ripping up the outside of the buildings as they're fighting and then having the underwater fight was it was just a really cool culminating fight. Though the best part was Zuos ripping up the enormous, like, sword stake and flinging it at Rintaro, and he just cuts through it like butter. Like, I hope all of the kids whose favorite is Rintaro had a fun Monday bragging to their classmates about how their favorite in this show is the coolest. I, I also hope so, because, like, look, Rintaro has deserved that kind of big hero moment for a minute. And even as I understand why he didn't get it until now, what with, you know, him lacking the conviction and all, it just, it still felt so good for him to get it here. I just, yeah. it put such a smile on my face. And then I just, I love the last little bit where, where Zuos gets that same moment that Storius got, where, you know, he the real who he is kind of breaks out, and he's like, ah, kid, you're real strong. Let's fight again sometime. Like, that was that was so good. And then having Rintro get to make peace with himself over his master's death and how he's finally avenged him. And then, you know, him kind of connecting with his soul and his master kind of reaching his hand out. And then when we see it connecting with his Rintro as a child, like, they, they got me there. That was such a sweet way to close that loop of how much Rintaro has been held back and held himself back and that he's now kind of really broken free and has been able to grow. It was just a great final showdown between two really great characters and for a conflict that was built up really well over the course of the show, kind of in the way no other conflicts have been built up. Yeah. And the resolution had all of the weight and magnitude that it felt both characters involved deserved. Um, it was also shot beautifully. Those shots of Rintaro out on the tundra as he gets that quiet moment to kind of find his peace were really beautiful cinematography. Yeah, they really were. And, and like, there were moments in the big flashy fight scene part where I was wondering if this was a Sakamoto episode. It didn't might have the feeling of it, but the the action felt, like, really well done. And, you know, you see really good action. You think, Sakamoto, question mark? But then there are those little human moments where things are quiet. And, like, Sakamoto, like, look, for all his many, many, many sins, like, it's not that he doesn't do quiet moments well, but he just doesn't do them like that. Yeah, he doesn't do them that well. Yeah. And, and... Man, Teruaki just nailed that 
that bit to the wall just sold it so hard. It's so good. Yeah. And I think that's that's basically it for the, the coverage of the episode proper, uh, unless you have anything you want to add. Uh, no, just 32 real good. Yeah, it really was. Uh, but that leads us to our new suit roundup, which is Kamen Rider Blades, Tatsugami uh, Hyoju Senki. Boy, I hope I didn't slaughter that as bad as I probably did. Uh, his No, I think you got it. His baller white lion suit. Yeah. I love this suit. It is gorgeous. It is such a great progression of the blade suit over the course of its upgrades. Like, it's so visually different, but it keeps so many of the key shapes and lines that are significant to the blade's look. Yeah, got the got the lion thing, the the little little slash for the visor. It's honestly, it's easily the best uh rider suit in the show since Dragonic Knight. And since I suspect we'll be seeing it a lot more than Dragonic Dragonic Knight in the future, I am very happy. Like I I love that the forehead sword feels more like a horn. Yes. And the helmet being this kind of lion head with the visor in the mouth, and also that it's got an adorable little lion nose. Like, it's a great helmet. Um, and the suit still looks sleek, but well-armored, and I like the blue chunk of ice on the chest piece with the animal details under it, where that's very cool, but it's not over-designed in the way that some saber suits tend to be. Um, I love the really loose pants, yes. as opposed to the way that, you know, rider suits tend to fit very close. Um, it gives more of, like, that traveler look, because, you know, it's, you know, he's this this veteran lion leading everyone through the storm. So it, it's he's got the look of kind of a traveler who makes his way through the tundra. I really love the fluffy mane. And not only is it just a very cool, unique detail for a rider suit, I don't think any rider suit has ever had a fur bit like that on it. Not that I can remember, um, yeah. I love that it also functions as part of the various attacks. Seeing it dissolve and reform into wings for the Sky Beast and the tail for the Sea Beast, that kind of rocked. That was amazing. Yeah, it really was. And I also really appreciated the sort of... Uh kabuki feel of it uh, especially you know it's got yes the big poofy pants are are like more traveler pants but also with the big wig put me in mind of of some of those kabuki performances and I, maybe that's just me having a very limited thing because i know it is a very different sort of thing but still i just it, it jumped out at me but look even if i wasn't in love with the look which I am. I, I do want to say. Like, I know I've been down on a lot of suits. This I really like this suit. Boy, they, they put it over the top with using the main for the effects. Because that's just, that's the best detail they've done in a long while. It really is. This is one of the best suits in the whole show. Oh, easily. Easily. Like, top three with a bullet. And before we uh, close out in this episode, I see you've made some, uh, an interesting note. Yeah, um, I know we've been saying Megid over the course of our coverage, 
And I'm, because I, I had assumed that Megiddo was just kind of the, the, the syllabic pronunciation of, of what they wanted. Um, I feel like some people have subbed it Megid. Um, but I think that we should, that it is actually supposed to be Megiddo. Okay. Because um, I believe their name comes from the Hebrew root of the Greek Armageddon. Um, the the Hebrew is Har Megiddo, the hill of Megiddo. Oh, um, yeah, well, Which is yeah. a place in Palestine in kind of the biblical text, which is meant to be the site of the final battle in Revelations, which is, again, Armageddon as the Greek translation. And I'm, I'm making a guess at this being kind of the root for their name, but it makes a lot of sense in the context of a show that this that overall has heavy ties to books and that this group with heavy ties to books who became these violent heretics when exposed to the world of narrative would be named and who are trying to end the world would be named for the most well-known story of the end of the world in history. Mm. No, which, yeah, that's making a lot of sense. I feel bad for not putting that together myself, or even just looking up the origin of Megid or Megiddo as a word, because, man, that is right in the, the in a bunch of things I'm very interested in sometimes. But... I mean, to be fair, Kamen Rider makes up a lot of words. Yeah. For their monsters. Yeah, exactly. Like, I feel like I can be like, forgiven. I, I know that, like, Dopant comes from doping, and, like, greed is is fairly obvious. Yeah, it's, it's greed, but sometimes they put an extra E in, which always weirds me out. Because just O's does three of everything. But, like, I don't... They just make up a lot of words sometimes, and it did... I'm just like, okay, they make up words. I figured they made up a word. But it, it actually, I think it may actually come from this Hebrew. Yeah. No, I think, I think that makes a lot of sense. Like, even if, even if, not, yeah, I say even if. Like, I just think that makes a lot of sense. Oh yeah, even if they were just, like, wanting to have a neat sounding word for it. Like, that's, that was a good one to pick, you guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, I. I had seen Megiddo come up in in screen caps relating to something completely different. I think it might have been Good Omens. I'm not totally sure because I I don't remember what it was. Um, but I feel like it could have been Good Omens because it was something I saw on Tumblr and I do follow someone who posts a lot of Good Omens stuff. Um, and it would make sense for it to be Good Omens in the context of what Good Omens is about. Yeah. Um, but I, I saw them say Megiddo, and, you know, it, it involved that context, and I'm like, oh. Oh, I get it now. It's it's fun when that happens, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, on that note, um, jumping from the end of the world to the end of the podcast, uh, unless you have any final thoughts? Uh, no, just it feels like the wheels are really turning on this show again. Which is nice. It, like, I'm excited yeah, it's, and it's for where nice. Saber is going again. Also, it's just nice that Rentro is, is getting the love and respect he deserves. 
Maya's coming close to getting the love and respect she deserves, but uh, they're cowards. Uh, so on that note, uh, from all of us here at the Uncommon Cast RX and the rest of the TOOL Network, I'm Aleph. And I'm Sono. And don't get kicked by a horse and die.